Well, for those of you who have been here with us over these past few weeks, you know that we've been systematically working through this small epistle of 3 John. And one of the things that we've been trying to do in a very particular way is to set out the reality that what we see in 3 John, in one sense, is very much consistent with what we ought to be seeing in church life today. In other words, a glimpse into the early church should relate something to what we see in church life this day. That there should not be this great chasm between what was then and what is now. And the reason for that is because we embrace and preach the same Lord. We know, again, the same work of the Spirit of God. We have the same Word of God given to us. And we have the same character of Christ being formed within us. And because of that, there should not be that much of a difference between that which was then and that which is now. And I hope and I pray that that gives you something of an encouragement to stop and think that what you are doing in this moment has been done for over 2,000 years. To stop and think that what you are doing this moment, there is this line of succession that goes back throughout the ages of men and women, boys and girls, calling upon the name of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. It's a wonderful thing to know that even when we gather today in this hour, here we are and we might say the few of us, although I have to admit on this Sunday morning there's more here than I've seen before and I'm happy for that. But on this Sunday morning what I want you to be aware of is that we are joined together with the people of God throughout all the ages. There's a sense in which as we belong to the church of Jesus Christ, both on earth and in heaven, we join with one voice to give glory to God and to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you're a part of here this morning. You take that with you as you go out into the world. You take the name of a crucified and risen Savior whose love for sinners knows no bounds. Aren't you glad that that's the message that you carry with you? And so again, 3 John brings this out. It brings it out in a number of ways. And one of the things that we've been trying to do particularly is to look at each of the kind of characters as individuals or character groups that we see in this third epistle. We see some very worthwhile individuals that are worth... um, Imitating, if I can put it that way. We see, first and foremost, the Apostle John himself. This man through whom biblical authority comes. This man, by way of the gift of apostleship, is able to give us the authoritative word of God. That authoritative word of God now is for us not bound up in an individual man. That authoritative word is bound up in the scriptures that God has given to us. And we have, therefore, the apostles and the prophets as the foundation of the church. And we are thankful for that. We saw the man that John wrote to, that man, the beloved Gaius. What an individual this man was. Over and over again, John refers to him as the beloved Gaius. And there is something that John is conveying by way of our interaction one with another, that we are truly the loved one of another. Even though at times we kind of clash in our personalities, even though at times we don't fully understand one another, even though at times we leave each other scratching our heads, what's this guy all about? There is, at the end of the day, a real and true love for the people of God. John brings this out in the way he refers to Gaius, the beloved Gaius. What a man Gaius was. He was a man that was given over to Christian hospitality. And for those of you that were here, you might remember that Christian hospitality, if I can put it this way, were really the rails upon which the train of the gospel ran. There was a sense in which if individual churches or, or individuals in those churches were not exhibiting hospitality, the gospel would not go forward. And this man, Gaius, was a great example of an individual who so identified with the cause of Christ that should anybody come by who was preaching Christ, Gaius would support that man. And you might remember we tried to make something of an application at that point. Where is Gaius today? 
And our hope was that as we look out to the congregation, we see a church full of Gaiuses, a church full of those who are willing to support the work of Jesus Christ as it goes forward. And so again, this man Gaius. We also saw, you remember, last week, an individual that was something more of a challenge to us. And that was that man by the name of Diotrephes. And this man, Diotrephes, you remember we said that he may have been a man who, just by way of nature, was possessed of great personal abilities and talents. A man who had probably leadership qualities all wrapped up in him. A man who probably was one of those guys that when you stepped in the room, he naturally kind of rose to the top. But this man, Diotrephes, you might remember what we said, because he had never sanctified those talents and because those gifts were never personally submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, rather than being a benefit to the church, he was a detriment to the church. What a sad thing to see individuals in the body of Christ with great abilities, great talents, yet never sanctified or never set under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, how we hope that that's not true of any of us that whatever God has given by way of natural gifts and natural abilities, they've been laid at the foot of the cross. Oh, what a wonderful way to see your talents, your gifts, your abilities blossom by, play, by planting those abilities in the very ground upon which the cross of Jesus Christ was erected and upon which the blood of Jesus Christ drips down. If you truly want to see your gifts blossom, if you truly want to see yourself and others around you that you love develop into the full bloom of what Christ has for them, oh, let those gifts be sanctified at the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, that was the atrophies. And what we want to do today is we want to take a look at the last individual that's mentioned in our little epistle here, and that's that man, Demetrius. And Demetrius is just a wonderful man. In one sense, Demetrius may even be a more sterling character excuse me, a more sterling character than even Gaius himself. And the reason why we say this is because if we look at what John is doing here in this little epistle, he is actually recommending or commending Demetrius to Gaius. And he is setting forth Gaius, as, excuse me, he is setting forth Demetrius as an example for even Gaius to follow. And what I find really fascinating about that is essentially this. This good man, Gaius, was able to receive a recommendation of a man who John was able to say, you follow his pattern. And Gaius wasn't upset about it. Gaius wasn't kind of offended. Gaius wasn't thinking in the back of his head, well, come on, John, cut me a break. You know, you just said all this good stuff that I did, and you want me to follow another man's example? But what we see is that Demetrius was that kind of a man. He was a man whom God had set forth to be a pattern of holiness and godliness for others to follow. And that brings us to what I would call the doctrine or the principle that I want to set before you this morning. That God sets within the church of Jesus Christ patterns of godliness and holiness that he calls us by way of biblical command to look to and to emulate. Now we have to be very careful here. We have to make sure that we don't fall off on either edge, if I can put it that way. We have to make sure that we don't in some kind of way think that, and again, I want to be careful here because caution is needed. We know that ultimately our example is Jesus Christ himself. Ultimately, it is the person of Christ that we seek to mirror and to emulate. And let me say this, I am so... I, am, I can't tell you how many times I have been comforted in my mind to think that when I'm trying to work out the principles of the gospel 
and the principles of holiness that we are called to. And even the principles, are you ready for this good old-fashioned word? The principles of separation that God still requires of his people. That I have before me the pattern of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ becomes the perfect model for every Christian ethic that is, uh, that is played out. I don't have before me some harsh man. I don't have before me some small-minded man. I have the Lord of glory as my pattern, as my example. And we have to make sure that we emphasize over and over again that he is the true pattern for the Christian. But by way of biblical injunction and command, we find in a number of places set before us godly men, holy women, People who God has set forth and in the scripture we hear, follow their example. And so as I said before, the the doctrine that we have in front of us is this, is that God has placed within the church of Jesus Christ examples of holiness and godliness, which we do well to emulate in our lives. Demetrius was that kind of a man. And so what I want to do today is I want to set before you this man, Demetrius. I want you to see, number one, that he embodies a very fundamental biblical principle. Very fundamental He that doeth good is of God. About as simple as it gets, isn't it? We have to examine that expression. We have to make sure that we don't misunderstand or misapply it. But we can't take away from it. He that doeth good is of God. It's very fundamental, very basic. But we're also going to see that this man Demetrius, not only did he possess or embody this character, this characteristic, we're going to see that there were a number of witnesses to that reality in his life. You remember, as we read, and I've, as I've mentioned over the weeks, that Demetrius had that threefold witness. He had the witness of all men that he was a good man. That's a rare thing, but he had it. More importantly, he had the witness of the truth. The truth itself testified to Demetrius's character. And number three, the Apostle John, that good and godly, that saintly Apostle John, was able to bear witness to Demetrius's character. And so what I want to do is I want to set before you this man, Demetrius. Well, the first thing I want you to see and understand then is this idea by way of a biblical principle that God sets before us, good and godly men or good and godly women, good and godly examples that we, by way of biblical injunction, are to follow. Now, as I said before, we have to be very careful here. And if you'll allow me to just read my notes because I want to say this uh, uh, very carefully. Again, our doctrine or our principle, God has given to the church living patterns of Christian holiness and godliness that through their example, we might follow Christ more closely and be better disciples of him. These living patterns are never to take away from the Lord Jesus Christ that love and worship that the Father commands we give his son and the glory that we are to give him through the work of his Holy Spirit. Nor are we to think that these living patterns of holiness and godliness are not without sins and blemishes. However, as we look through the word of God, we do see that God has designed and provided for his church living examples of faith and devotion to Christ that we are commanded in scripture to follow and to imitate. Listen to some of these passages of scripture. Paul is bold enough to say this, be ye followers of me as I am followers of Christ. There's the standard. There's the standard. For every one of us who hopefully hear this message and leave this place of worship and say, when it's all said and done, if nothing else, to those I love, that's what I want to be. I want to be that pattern of holiness and godliness that they can follow. I hope you understand first and foremost, it's only as you follow Christ 
that you can be an example of those for those uh, who who you would have follow, who would uh, who would be an example for you to follow, for for them to follow you. I'm sorry. James chapter five verse ten. Take my brethren, the prophets, who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering and affliction. First Thessalonians one six. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. First Timothy four twelve. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example to the believers in word and conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Titus two seven. And all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. And doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Of course, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering their end of their conversation. And to those rulers, we might say, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 3, we might say this to those rulers, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. How are the... Men of God to lead the church of God primarily by being examples. And so as I'm saying, what we see in this passage of scripture is that there is this kind of this principle within the word of God. That God has provided for his church living examples of of, of godliness and holiness that we as the people of God do well to emulate. Now we have to be very careful here. Because we know that within the tendency of, uh, of, of either fallen man or in the tendency of man and his religious character not fully informed by the word of God to take these patterns of holiness and godliness and to set them on a pedestal that God never intended. You see, you can begin from a, from a, from a proposition such as this. You can end up in that very erroneous position where you are, quote unquote, venerating saints of the past. And that would be wrong. That would be detracting from the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ alone. And so how do we navigate this? How do we make sure that there is the proper examples being set before us and yet at the same time not falling over into some form of of activity that would be offensive uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, number one, we do not attempt to be, if I can put it so bluntly, wise beyond what is written. That we stay with what the scriptures say. When God in his good providence sets before us examples of holiness and godliness, we can, within proper proportion, say, here is a man, here is a woman, who elements of their lives, aspects of their living, I want to see developed in my own life, and yet in no, and yet in no way taking away from the glory that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So we must, again, make sure that we navigate this properly, but we cannot... We cannot out of fear of falling into error on that side not bring out the truth that's embedded in the text. The text is, for, is fairly clear here. When John, when, yes, when John writes to Gaius, he purposely sets Demetrius before him, not only recommending him as the one who's carrying the letter, but also recommending him by way of an example. And this brings us back to something that we learned last week. Last week when we were dealing with Diotrephes, we saw this man, again, this, just this, 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 this man who just became, he became that guy, so to speak. He became that guy you didn't want to be around. And what John is showing to us is essentially this. In dealing with a man like Diotrephes, we can understand we don't have to be like Diotrephes. 
John is going to deal with the atrophies. And there's a sense in which, I'm going to be careful, but there's a sense in which you can almost see some of the general outlines of, of church discipline even beginning to be put in place. John sends a letter. The atrophies saw it. He did something to it. We don't know what it was. John now informs Gaius of the situation. John says that when he comes, he's going to speak to the atrophies about these sins. Something of a pattern of church discipline is kind of being laid out there. But that's not the only thing that John does on behalf of Gaius. He gives to Gaius, if I can put it this way, another way. And that's something in the life of the Christian sanctification we must not ever forget that there's another way. That yes, we may be going on a way that is detrimental to our spiritual well-being, but brothers and sisters, there's another way. You may be involved in patterns and decisions that are, again, destructive and everything else, but brothers and sisters, there's another way. And oftentimes that other way will be, will be personalized for you in the lives of some godly saint that God sets before you. And you can be the pattern of that other way for some brother or sister struggling in their faith. I look out this morning and I see a mix. Usually I see gray heads like mine. I see young people here. My fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are further on. Don't you want to be that pattern of godliness? Certainly at least for your children. Certainly for your grandchildren. Don't you want them to think again that God in your life was absolutely glorified? Children, young people, I want you to see and understand that you have those who love you, who want to be that pattern of godliness. Sometimes you may have to overlook some of their own faults and blemishes like we brought out here. Can I ask you to please overlook those blemishes when you see them? To understand that there's something deeper within them by way of love. There's something that they're trying to work within you by way of conformity to Christ. You see, this whole idea of a pattern of godliness that is set before us. Well, again, Demetrius is that. And what we see in the life of Demetrius is, as I said before, we see this man who embodies a very fundamental biblical principle. And that's found for us in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. This is, in one sense, the transition that John is making between the actions of Diotrephes and now the actions of Demetrius, which John is purposely setting before Gaius. And again, if I can put it this way, I'm not trying to be funny, but what John is saying is essentially this. Listen, listen you don't have to be like a, like a, like a Diotrephes. You don't have to respond in kind to a diatrophies. You don't have to, again, try to get even at the level of diatrophies in order to neutralize diatrophies, but rather do that which is good. As I said before, there's another way. There's a way of godliness that's before you. Take that way. And oh, by the way, John is saying to guys, I'm going to give you a living example of that. But let's take a look at this idea, this very fundamental biblical principle of doing good. Now, as I said before, it's just replete throughout the scriptures, the, the concept of doing good. I also find it very interesting that most of us, very few people, have within them the tendency, that's not the right way to say it, many, very few people overtly would deny 
the rightness of doing good. And because of that, it's something of a challenge for those of us who would preach the biblical doctrine or the biblical gospel. And the challenge is this. We live in a day where you can get almost anybody to agree with you about doing good. Oftentimes you see the, what is it, the Salvation Army truck, it says donate goods, but then in, in the red letters it says do good. Have you ever seen that? Happened to be just kind of researching this idea of doing good and I came across the, um, was it WikiHow? How to do everything? I told you how to be good. And what it said about how to be good was, first and foremost, define for yourself what's good. Well, as Christians... We say, well, wait a minute. How can a fallen creature define what is good? How can fallen man who in his best state is self-centered, how can he define good? And so what we see immediately is that we are, we are in one sense forced outside of ourselves in order to define and understand what the good is. And aren't you glad once again that we come back to the person of Jesus Christ? That Jesus Christ is for us that pattern of what goodness is. He is, he is goodness incarnate if we can put it that way and so what i want you to see again is that there is this idea that you're not going to get a whole lot of pushback when you talk to people about doing good and so when we talk about this general fundamental biblical principle of doing good whoever does whoever whoever doeth good is of god of course we have to make sure that we explain that properly in our day young people i hope you don't mind me saying this if you're in high school i i I imagine that you have classes that uh, talk about doing certain works of philanthropy, how you're going to have a positive impact in the community, what differences you're going to make. And many of these things are going to be just bringing to these kind of, you'll want me to put it this way, these kind of nebulous ideas of goodness, putting it all together and say, okay, you know, with all the you know, energy of youth, let's, let's get to this thing. And I want to challenge you, if I can, to look within the Word of God and find within the Word of God that understanding of what true goodness is. To understand what it is first and foremost and then to truly model that in your lives. You can do that. You can be a witness for Jesus Christ that way. So again, this idea of doing good, we have to be very careful here. And the reason why we have to be very careful is because we know that when all is said and done, the scripture, while it commands and while it places upon believers the duty of doing good... And, excuse me, and while there is, in a very true sense, this fundamental principle that he that does good is of God, we also know that the scriptures make very, very clear that when it's all said and done, there is not a goodness or an act of doing good that can give us merit in the sight of God. Now, if you would do this very kind of interesting little study, and if you use the King James like myself and get a concordance and look up that little phrase, do with good, you will find five times this expression. For there is none that doeth good, no, not one. So if the biblical command or principle is that whoever does good is of God, but when we read that there is none that doeth good, how do we understand this? Well, we understand it in a number of ways, but we'll, I, before I give you the explanation, I want you to, bring, I want you, I want to, I want to set before you some other things. I want you to be aware of that. That in one sense, there is none to do with good. And yet on the other hand, we are commanded to do good. It's, it's really, if I can put it this way, um, a weakness within current evangelical theology that we have so clearly, which is a good thing, defined the essence of the gospel, 
and being righteous in the sight of God through the merits of Jesus Christ. No good works can save me. No good works add to my salvation. And we wrongly deduce in this way. Therefore, if no good works were needed for my salvation and no good works gave me approval before God, therefore good works are not important. That's wrong. The scriptures always press upon us the necessity as the people of God to live out in real practice the doing of good. The doing of good as defined by God. The doing of good as delineated in scripture. And if your understanding of the Christian life is, okay, look, I made a decision, I'm good to go. Look, you have to understand that the, 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 uh, that the validating proof of your profession of faith is the life that you live. And if the life that you live doesn't match up to the profession you make, you are not, remember we've said this, you are not living that authentic life that we saw Gaius living. Remember about Gaius, the truth was in him and he walked according to it. That's an authentic life. And so what we see here then is, how do we explain this? How do we understand this? Well, number one, this doing good, if I can put it this way, this doing good is not the doing good of merit. It's not the doing good of trying to find favor with God. And I need to bring before your minds uh, these passages of Scripture so that you understand just how clear the Word of God is in the truth that no man is right in the sight of God by way of doing good. Works will not, your works will bring you to hell quicker than they'll bring you to heaven. You understand? And sometimes people say things like this. Well, they, my good works, well, they can't hurt. Well, if you're using them to gain favor with God, they, they are harmful. Listen to these passages of Scripture again. Uh, for, uh, Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They, are done, they, they have done abominable things. There is none that doeth good. Verse 3 of verse 14. They are all gone aside. They are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Psalm 53, verse 1, same, same idea. The fool said in his heart, there is no God, corrupt are they. They have done abominable, there is none that doeth good. Verse, verse 3, every one of them has gone back, they are altogether become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And again, understand the expansion that, 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 that the psalmist is giving here. Because we might be intended to say, well, it's the it's it's fool, the one who says there's no God, who doesn't do any good. But, but, the, uh, but the psalmist expands on this. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. He goes from a particular case to the universal case. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, uh, verse 20. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And of course, this is all brought together <coughs> excuse me, in, in Paul's great epistle to the Romans where the gospel is clearly for, uh, put forth. Uh, they are all gone out of the way. They are all, to be, uh, excuse me, they are, all, they, they are together uh, become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And so again, whenever we talk about the doing of good, it's not the doing of good of religious merit. It's not the doing good of, it's not the doing good of finding favor with God. And again, this is how we understand what the gospel is all about. The gospel is you and I setting aside any pretended thought of doing good or do, of good works. We don't go... You will not stand before God with a plan B in your back pocket. You will only be able to stand before God with the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ upon you. And if the blood of and if the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ are not sufficient to get you into heaven, nothing will. This is why we sing that old gospel song, "Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling." But brothers and sisters, let's not walk out the door at this point. Say, "Hey, I'm good to go." Had the experience, felt the moving. Signed the card, went and was baptized. 
And oh, by the way, no change is made. Is that the life you want to live? Do you want the final word on your life to be, he said one thing and did another? You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms the life. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that you can sit back, my brothers and sisters in Christ who are a little older, aren't you glad you can sit back and say what, what you were and what God is doing now? And maybe if you can't say that, aren't you glad you can say, there's still time for change. God's grace is still operative. It can all still happen because God will never come short on the promises that he's made. And so again, this idea. So how do we distinguish between this doing good that we are called to do by way of a biblical principle? And let me just give you some passages that, that bring this out, this, this, this doing of good before we, before we get on to anything else. Listen to, uh, and you know the passage in Matthew chapter 5, the, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Uh, there, Acts chapter 9, that there was a certain, there was a job of a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deed which she did. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And we can go on and on and on. So how do we draw this distinction? How do we distinguish between the good works, again, that cannot give us favor with God and the good works that we are called to and the good works that are found in Demetrius? Well, we distinguish them along the following line. First, we understand, that, as I said before, that there are no good works that can justify us before God. And this was the great error of the religious people of our Lord's day, the Jews of our Lord's day, and the religiously righteous of our day. What do I mean by the religiously righteous? You know the type. Talk to them about the gospel. They're a half a step ahead of you oftentimes. Ask them about their experience with Jesus Christ and something just doesn't seem to fit the biblical pattern. They have enough of religion to act as a vaccination or inoculation against the gospel, if I can put it that way. They have the good works. They're not that sinner. They're not that sinner who, if you would, in the, under the grace of God and through the leading of the Spirit of God, if you would go and help that one and somebody would see you, they would say, boy, that was a really good thing that you did, helping that person out. And you say to them, well, all I did was I told them the fact of the gospel, that they're a sinner, that they need Christ. Well, that's good. They needed to hear that. And you say to yourself or to them, well, my friend, what about you? What about you? All dressed up. All cleaned up. Don't have the smell of the, of the past three days upon you. No detoxing going on. You know, you need the gospel too. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you as well. And the, and, and the, and the error that we see with this idea of good works. And again, in our day, it's, it's a very strange thing in our day when we take a look at, at how sin is manifesting itself. On the one hand, it's manifesting itself in ways that are absolutely offensive to the holiness of God. And in another sense, it's, it's manifesting itself in a way that is even more offensive to the holiness of God. You look at Romans 1 and what do we see? Paul was dividing all of humanity into what I call unrighteous sinners and self-righteous sinners. And when he deals with the unrighteous sinners in Romans chapter 1, he just goes right down the list. If you ever look at that list, that list is very much up to date. Not, not, not too many old-fashioned sins there. And a lot of those sins are very much up to date. 
But when he get, and he goes right through the list. But when he gets to Romans two, what does he do? Now he's in close, and he has to. And he has, in one sense, untangle all this thought because now he's dealing with self righteous sinners. And the self-righteous sinner is a very difficult sinner to expose his need for Christ for. And that was the great failure of the Jewish religious system. It is the great failure of many of the systems of religion that go under the umbrella of of general uh, Christendom. And the passage that brings us out is Romans chapter 10. Listen to what Paul says. My brethren, my heart's desire to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal for God, but not according to their knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone believes. You see what Paul does? He drives to the person of Christ. All true preaching drives to the person of Christ. All true presentation of the gospel drives to the person of Christ. It's not having your neighbor think better of you because you're a nice guy. That's not the gospel. We've all heard the, 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 the saying... It's, 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 it's appropriate in its place. You've heard it. Preach the gospel. And if you have to, use words. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you what. There's no preaching the gospel apart from words. Somebody said this one time, that, that our words are like well-driven nails. But it's the character of the life that drives the nail. So as I said before, our hope and our desire is that we live in such a way to where our message resonates, the message of the gospel resonates within us. And so that's what we see there. And that's, and that's the distinction that I'm trying to make. Again, as I said before, I spent the, excuse me, as I said before, I just want to make sure that we understand this distinction. And the reason why is because, getting back to the context now of 3 John, the reason why is because Diotrephes was not following this example. Diotrephes was not a man who was embodying this very fundamental biblical principle that he that doeth good is of God. John says this in, in two other places. He says it in John chapter one, excuse me, First John chapter two, uh, verse twenty nine, and First John chapter three, uh, verses six through nine. He that doeth good is of God. Your life, your character, in one sense, is the real validation of what your profession is all about. And so John sets before uh, Gaius this distinction. He doesn't have to be like Diotrephes. He can be like this man Demetrius. And that brings us finally. Or not so much finally, that brings us next to this man, uh, Demetrius. And again, as I said before, what, what a man he was. He, he, this, he must have been a phenomenal man to, to be around. He must have been a phenomenal man to have contact with. He must have been that rock-solid Christian that who truly is the salt and light of the earth. He must have been that man that every other Christian would have thought, listen, you know, whatever else I am, I hope and I pray that I can emulate in some way what, the, uh, what Demetrius is all about. Again, never taking anything away from the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Obviously, a man like Demetrius would be greatly offended at that. He would not. Demetrius is not in heaven waiting for you to offer prayers to him in order that he can take those prayers of Jesus Christ. I can guarantee you that. Whenever we think that way, you have to understand this from a theological perspective. Whenever you place a, a mediator between the person of Christ and, and yourself or the person of Christ and God, you are, you are lowering the effect and the value of the incarnation of Christ. You know that when Christ took on flesh, he came to the lowest 
of humanity. Look in that passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2. All that we see there is in this idea of Christ humbling himself, abasing himself, in order that the lowest of the low might find in him that stepping stone to God and to place anyone between your soul and Jesus Christ to get you to God again, offends the very work of Christ in his incarnation. And so again, Demetrius isn't in heaven waiting for you to offer prayers to him. But he is an example. And he's an example that John sets before Gaius to follow. I have to admit this again, that I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I, I find that this, is, uh, uh, this speaks well of, of Gaius. Uh, Gaius, we don't see in any way, seems to be offended. John is not afraid of, of offending Gaius. John is not thinking that maybe guys might think, you know, if I, if I recommend uh, Demetrius to him in such a way as to, for Demetrius to be an example, uh, guys uh, might think that maybe I think something less of him. Guys isn't that man. And aren't you glad that there can be this largeness of spirit, this largeness of soul, that when there is another Christian in your presence who is living the life, life to the glory of God, you don't have to think, oh, you can think, oh, praise God that God has people like this and that God has put people like this in my path. And so again, this man Demetrius. But it brings us again to verse 12. And as I said concerning verse 12, notice what we see here, that Demetrius is this man with this threefold witness. Notice again what we have. Demetrius hath a good report of all men and the truth itself. Yea, and we also bear record and ye know that our record is true. Did you notice the threefold testimony, the threefold witness? The first witness is to Demetrius is the witness of all men let me say this that this is a wonderful this is a wonderful um, uh, uh, truth that was uh, that was part of who Demetrius was all men witnessed to him what that would mean then is essentially this that Demetrius in his public public life conducted himself in such a way as to be an honor to the gospel that Demetrius in his private life at home conducted himself in such a way as to give, again, this, this, this approval to the gospel. That Demetrius, again, at every level of human interaction, conducted himself in such a way that the glory of Christ was always seen. That's a challenge sometimes, isn't it? You know, sometimes we're placed in very difficult or hard situations where we are literally between a rock and a hard spot. And a lot of times, between that rock and a hard spot, we might find this other little rock that we can stick between us and the hard spot. And oftentimes, that other little rock is somebody else. And the difficulty falls on them. We can make it a little more easier on us by making it a little more difficult for them. Demetrius, I don't think, was that guy. Demetrius was that stand-up man in public and in the home. But most of all, Demetrius was that man in the church. And again, I have to say this. I thank God that in the church of Jesus Christ, God raises up good and godly men. I thank God that I can look out and I can call, because I don't know all of you all that well, but I can call each and every one of you men to be the good and godly man that Demetrius was. I can ask you to pray for me that I might be that good and godly man that Demetrius was. You see, these examples God sets in the church in order that we might have living patterns of holiness. And again, thank God for that. But not only did, not only did Demetrius have this, uh, this, this, this commendation of all men, in one sense a very rare thing, I mean, we, we, we can even say that within, the, uh, within, the, within this letter itself that John didn't even have this in one sense because Diotrephes 
you know, was causing all this trouble for John. The Archiphrates was speaking against John. And so again, we have to be, we have to make sure we understand the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, woe when all men say, you know, speak well of you. But there is something by way of the character of Demetrius and the character of a godly man where there is this general consent that that man is a good man. We thank God for that. Good because of the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts. But also Demetrius had a a witness of the truth. I think this is even, even more important because what that means is essentially that we are seeing in Demetrius the same thing that we saw in Gaius. A man in whom the truth dwelled and a man who walked up to the truth that he had. Phenomenal. Fantastic. That's who and what we ought to be, what want to be. But stop and think of what that would mean. If if Diotrephes had this um, had this testimony had this testimony that the truth gave to him, I, I love the picture here. You would open up the Bible and you would read about Diotrephes' character. What a wonderful thing to say about good and godly men and women. That when you open up the pages of Scripture, you see sister so and so being described. You see brother so and so being described, and you see little brother so and so beginning to emulate the things that we see here. What a wonderful thing! But the other thing I want you to see and understand is this. When the truth testifies of, the, uh, of, uh, of Demetrius, what it means then is essentially this, that, that Demetrius was that man in whom the, 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 the whole range of biblical truth was known and embraced. That's important at this point. Because in one sense, I've talked, a lot about, I, I've talked a lot about morality in one sense. I've talked a lot about ethics. I've talked a lot about doing good. But when we come to these passages where we see that the truth speaks well, the truth here should be understood primarily as the truth of the gospel. And so that Demetrius would have been that man who embraced the full range of Christian teaching. Demetrius would have been that man who understood that there was in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ a true sacrifice and atonement for sin. Have you embraced that? There would have been in Demetrius the, the, the understanding and the awareness that there is the ongoing work of the Spirit of God whereby the life is being sanctified. Demetrius would have been that man who understood that indeed the Lord Jesus Christ has ascended at the Father's right hand and at the, and, and, and at the and, and, and his session at the right hand. He is ruling and reigning over all of earth. And Demetrius also would have been that man who understood that one day and yes, one day very soon, Jesus Christ will return to this earth. The full range of Christian doctrine was embraced by him. And, the, and he lived it out in such a way as that it resonated within his life. So he had the witness of all men. He had the witness of the scripture. And lastly, he had the witness of, of John. I don't know if you've ever had the experience, but it is a very encouraging thing to have um, saintly followers of Christ uh, give commendation. If I can say this, I, I almost hesitate to do this, but um, I, had a, I had a pastor one time uh, who, uh, and I'm not a hugging kind of a guy, not at all, but uh, I had a pastor one time who, who was, uh, in, a very, in a good way, he, he, was, he, was, a, he was a down-the-line guy. He was a, he, he was a straight shooter. Um, but there was bringing into the church um, people who were coming to faith in Christ. And this man who was a very, I don't want to say a hard man, that would be the wrong way to say it. But this man who was a very, who could be very distant and very formal, this man embraced me and hugged me for doing the work of Christ. And I thought to myself, what will it be like on that day if I am blessed enough to hear 
From the words of our Lord Jesus, from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, brothers and sisters, there is a life that can be lived that has as its witness the very word of God, the saints of God, and the people that we interact with. And that that person can be you, it can be each of us. You can be a pattern. You can be an example of godliness. My young friends, you can be, to your friends, patterns of godliness and holiness. Take it up. Do it manfully. Do it gracefully. You can do it. Those of us who are older, you see the ones coming behind us. May you, may I, may we be something of a Demetrius to all those that we come in contact with. Well, there are many more things that we can say here. John closes out the epistle. He goes on to say that, again in verse 13, I had many things to write, but will not with ink and pen write it unto thee. But I trust that I shall shortly see thee and shall speak speak with thee face to face. Peace be to thee. And our friends salute thee and greet thee and greet the friends by name. Just a couple of things very quickly here. Very interesting here, John says, I have many things to write, but I'll not with ink and pen. You know that there are things that God intended to be, that there are things that God intended to be preserved for us in his word. And those are the things that, the, that those who are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit put down in, in God's good and holy book. And there are other things that are just those things of Christian fellowship. John says, look, when I get together with you, you know, we'll, we'll see one another face to face. And until that time, greet the friends. You see the personal interaction that the people of God have with one another. And so again, as I said before, this brings us to the end of of this little epistle of 3 John. This little glimpse of life in the first century. And aren't you glad that the God who worked then is the same God who works now? Aren't you glad that the same Savior who saved then is the Savior who saves now? Aren't you glad that the same Spirit who changed and transforms life is the same Holy Spirit who changes and transforms life today? Aren't you glad that there were living examples then of piety and godliness and holiness? And aren't you glad that you can be those examples? Let's pray. Our Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the example of men like the Archifes. And we would ask, Father, in no way taking anything away from the glory that belongs to your Son. For, Father, this is what you lead us to, to glorify and to magnify your Son. We hear your words on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. We know and understand that he is the pattern, ultimately, that we should follow. But, Father, we also see in your word that you set before us these examples of godly living. And so, Father, by your grace, may you set before us those examples. May you grant to us the grace of seeing these examples within our lives. But Father, we also pray that you would give us grace to be those examples. In a world, Father, oftentimes that will attempt to do good from a human perspective, may we have the grace and the ability to convey in a persuasive way uh, that good works uh, will not save. And whatever there is by way of common grace and the desire to do good works, we see and we understand that there is only one work that sets us right before you, and that is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But Father, don't let us end there. Move us on in the areas of sanctification where we take up the call to do good in this world, where we take up the call to do that which is right, where we take up the call again to be, Father, examples to those around us. Do this, we pray, Father, for the, for the glory and for the exaltation of your Son, in whose name we pray, amen.